0: Hello to our Thinking Ahead listeners. A quick programming note. Today's guest, Eric Wagatha, joined us in our New York studios back on February 26th. On that date, COVID-19 had not yet become a widespread problem in the U.S. So Eric's comments here may reflect some of the thinking and awareness of that moment. But we feel they also serve as an important introduction to the value of trends as a tool for strategic decision making. Please enjoy our conversation and stay safe. Welcome to Thinking Ahead, your leading edge insights podcast. Each episode reveals the latest insights on today's consumers and offers a sneak peek of tomorrow's marketplace. Stop guessing what's next and start thinking ahead. Hello and welcome. This is Dave, your host for this week's Thinking Ahead. I'm in the studio today with Eric Wagatha, Senior Vice President and head of the GFK Consumer Life team in North America. GFK Consumer Life works with a range of global brands, helping them leverage consumer trend insights to make key product and marketing decisions. Currently, Consumer Life conducts research each year in over 25 countries worldwide. trend data back to the 1970s in the US and the late 1990s globally. Welcome to Thinking Ahead, Eric. Thank you, Dave. It seems like the word trend and trending has had a kind of rebirth in the past few years on social media, thinking about Twitter and other platforms, almost something akin to breaking news. And I was wondering if you could talk about how consumer trends and the types of trends you work with are the same or different from what those are talking about.
1: Yeah, Thanks, Dave. I I think the usage of that term certainly lends itself to perhaps some confusion or even perhaps some co-opting for what uh, organizations like ourselves and and, and others do in terms of bringing insight to to our clients. Um, From our perspective, the idea of a consumer trend is... An action or movement that has a, a plurality or significant number of consumers behind it, with the ultimate goal of having impact on behaviors uh, and attitudes that ultimately brands can merchandise or innovate against or communicate and interact with. It's a little bit different than when you go on Twitter and you see how many hashtags or likes um, or, or followers or even forwardings of a particular tweet or meme that happens. So I'd argue that consumer trends in our world are certainly a little bit more endearing. Uh, There's certainly a little more substance and thought, data and insight and observation behind it and go much beyond uh, perhaps items that are in the realm of media uh, news or or sort of short term fascination or fads,
0: right? Okay. So, in the hierarchy of these things, how does a trend compare with what we would call a fad?
1: Well, to a marketer, both are essentially important, right? In in our perspective, a fad is certainly something that um, sort of overwhelms or or takes root very quickly and and grows. Uh, it may not be rooted in a product or or anything necessarily of of significant beyond the fact of a sort of a popular uprising uh, it can be a form of entertainment it could be uh, the color of the year it can be a, a format of clothing that is just the hot item so the challenge with fads is they tend to occur very quickly um, they're, they're certainly more difficult to spot and the opportunity to leverage them, whether it's in communication or innovation, is generally a shorter term. So generally, the, the fad creator is most likely the one that gets the advantage of, uh, of the, <laughs> you know, the creation and the opportunity behind it. Trends, again, we feel are a little bit longer term. They're definitely rooted more deeply in um, social factors, consumer factors, the, the factors of, of psyche and society. And uh, they enable us the opportunity to study them, to see how they evolve, to see how they're manifested with different consumer targets or different regions, and to communicate that information to our clients in terms of their activities for marketing and innovation.
0: Mm. And then, sort of on the other end, are there things that are bigger than trends? Are there forces in the culture that are broader than an individual trend?
1: There certainly are. Um, Marketers may call those steep forces or or social drivers or industrial drivers. Uh, We call them uh, fundamental forces. And essentially, they are almost the precursor to the consumer trends, right? The consumer, in many ways, responds to the environment around them. So things like the democratization of technology has uh, had an impact, obviously, on on all our lives in many, many ways. Um, Access to education is certainly another key driver. Uh, Resource scarcity is obviously has impacts for manufacturing and such. So these occur at almost a a higher level uh, and ultimately are outside of the consumer's control. The idea with consumer trends that these are in in a way a response or an acknowledgement or a reaction to and modification in the consumer attitudes and and lifestyles.
0: So we talk on this podcast a lot about different types of data, like POS data, uh, more behavioral types of data. From the client's perspective, how does the consumer life data, how do consumer trends data fit into this whole data ecosystem right now?
1: Well, trends themselves by nature would suggest there's a longitudinal approach, right? You are tracking them from some point in time with ideally projecting to where they may evolve in, in a future point in time. So ultimately there's various ways you can get at of that. They can be purely observational uh, through accumulation and we hear there are many services uh, have man on the street or woman on the street or person on the street gathering these obf- observations and accumulating them and, and creating and ultimately communicating trends um, our approach is much more quantitative basis so we are surveying consumers on a regular basis and really looking at the angles of approaches you know and trajectories of this data are they rising are they falling are they peaking are we seeing that uh, these ideas and these values and these insights are um, emerging and growing beyond certain core target groups and becoming more mainstream. So in the study of the data, as well as social, political, entertainment, and cultural observation, we're able to do a fairly robust job at presenting a a set of trends that we feel are meaningful for any particular category, uh, industry, or target group. And what we, we do with our clients is ideally help them project Where these trends may go and ultimately again what products or services or benefits they can develop for the consumer
0: So when clients come to you and are looking for answers in the trends What kinds of questions do they have? What kinds of problems are they trying to solve?
1: It's a very good question and they're obviously every client is in a different space uh, even within an industry but generally speaking there are really two fundamental roles uh, that, that trends serve. And one is ultimately external faces with consumers. Help us intercept the consumer of the future, right? Innovation pipelines take a certain amount of time depending on industry. So it's not about where the consumer necessarily is today and innovating them for them today. It's where they'll be at some point in the future and how we can help that them uh, identify this individual, define unique um, needs they may have or unmet expectations, find that white space for them. So that's the external representation, but oftentimes we have clients who are looking for an internal sort of organization um, and gathering around a fundamental vision. Where are we going as an organization? And what are those key trends that we see as opportunities that various groups across the organization should rally around? Right. Each organization is looking to innovate, yet there's a fixed number of assets. Our job, when we do it right, is to help identify what are those key areas that they should be um, putting those assets towards.
0: So I know you have just recently published your 2020 U.S. Annual Report, which is kind of like your statement about where you see the consumer today. And just thinking about all that we've been discussing what are some of the trends that you're seeing right now that seem really, really important?
1: Well, obviously, we're heading into a critical year in 2020. Any election year um, generally brings levels of tension or anxiety or or concern of change in 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 the U.S. and amongst consumers. And then this year is 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 no different. Um, we are sensing, and we our point of view is really going to be uncovering what we feel is somewhat of a cultural recession that's actually happening in the US. Now this is different than 2008, 9, and 10 when we clearly were in the Great Recession, purely financially driven issues. Um, Actually quite easy to discern what were the outcomes of that for consumers. Um, Now it's a lot more foggy, it's a little unclear. Financially, we're certainly in a a better spot. Uh, So I wouldn't go so forward to, to talk about financial issues. And that's where it gets a little bit more muddy. We're talking about concerns of political divide, or con- uh, fragility of cultures and environments, um, insecurities consumers have about the futures and what that means for their livelihoods, um, and in terms of their lifestyles. We have uh, a new census coming up in 2020, uh, and ultimately that census is used for distribution of assets from our government. Mm-hmm. And so 2020 is a huge year, and not surprising that it does lead to a feeling of insecurity and uncertainty. Almost a sense that we're in this lull about what's going forward, where will we go forward as a U.S. culture. So we're tentatively calling it a cultural recession, much, much more complex than issues dealing with pocketbook and finance. You know, in a way, we're seeing somewhat of a social stalemate. Now, certainly that's kind of easy to intuit when we think of political divides, but we also see it happening at the household and cultural and, and I should say, and the community level. Um, in a way, We're seeing consumers demanding kind of a rewriting of that cultural contract. What do I mean by that? We're seeing how consumers in a way are pulling back from some of these mass consumption ideals. We're de-escalating this always-on attitude. In fact, we're seeing trends of consumers starting to opt out, right? We've been talking for quite some time already about cutting the cord and I think your audience would be very familiar with that. But we're seeing this idea of opting out, not just in areas of technology or media, but in areas of consumption or even subscription, feeling this idea of FOMO, fear of missing out. We're seeing a pushback on that and that it's okay to disconnect. So ideals of wellness um, and you know, personal time disconnect time those are growing in popularity and certainly marketers are taking advantage of it with products and services available Um, we're also seeing kind of an attitude towards life that's more focused on moderation versus extreme behaviors whether it's in you know foodie culture or or athletic culture and you know health and wellness the idea of finding balance rather than being extremely polar on any on on the spectrum whether it's left or right Uh, it seems to be playing more to this uh, emerging culture of being somewhat more in the middle and perhaps not so extreme on on some areas of lifestyle, certainly outside of politics.
0: How do those trends compare to the global trends, which I know you also track?
1: We're seeing that, and probably not surprisingly, consumers are increasingly connected on a global sphere. So in many ways, U.S. consumers are mirroring some of the larger more kind of strategic issues that global consumers are dealing with. So issues of polarization, right? This idea of perhaps trying to find a middle ground, a common ground, is something we're seeing uh, across the world, frankly. It may manifest itself in different ways and different lifestyle elements, whether you're, say, in China or in Europe, but it's something that we're seeing extremely felt. We're also seeing a rise in the power of the many, right? We're much around topics of social activism, extremely, extremely strong and forceful in European markets. Um, we're all familiar, and we saw plenty of videos of, of young uh, Greta Thunberg, right, as she spoke to the UN and is leading the charge amongst Gen Z, the youngest uh, of our consumers in global activism for, for the ecology issues and environment issues. So some of these themes play out very strongly uh, globally, certainly in Europe, developing Asia, and as strongly as well in the US. We certainly have issues around gun rights and issues of crime that are somewhat more unique to the US. But this theme of finding a middle ground and activating as a population to move our societies forward, uh, in many cases when our institutions are letting us down, is a theme that we see rising in many markets, even developed markets around the world.
0: So thinking about all of those trends, what do you see in the current concern about the coronavirus? How does that reflect some of the trends that you've already been watching?
1: That's a great question. Uh, because as I just mentioned earlier, we're increasingly connected uh, as a global consumer base, right? So what happens in one market, especially a large market like China, will certainly have impact on others, as we're seeing happening on, on almost an hourly basis now. Um, a few lessons from the past, as consumers look at these concerns, ultimately they digest them, and in some way work to move beyond them so part of the issue is at the individual level how much does it impact them clearly if you're in one of these markets one of these provinces you have direct impact your reaction time um, certainly is going to be much more muted in in finding a normalcy in life so it'll be interesting to see how each market individually responds Uh, but ultimately and perhaps optimistically um, we will find a solution Uh, This too shall pass with global learning uh, and ideally the lessons learned will probably strengthen our global economies frankly and our global support networks and preparations for further incidents like these. We've saw in the past historically from the tsunamis back in Japan almost a decade ago estimating a response by the Japanese consumers and, and issues of fears and concerns and now granted those are momentary you know, uh, effects of nature, acts of nature, uh, and the response and the return to a, a quasi-normalcy was shorter term. So um, the expectation is at some point there will be a recovery but at this point today it's difficult to tell exactly when that will be.
0: Okay. So thinking about all of the different types of trends that we've been discussing, how can you help clients work with that data to really drive strategy and to make decisions that are going to lead to growth? How do they apply consumer trends data?
1: Well, Ultimately, it takes a top-down approach and vision and a belief that the analysis, the learning from, the tracking of consumers and marketplaces um, leads to opportunities. So we, as much as we work in helping with our clients develop trends and trends frameworks, uh, we're very actively engaging in the activation of those trends within the organization. So, um, so that it doesn't become a wonderful document on the shelf, uh, just the creation and the tracking of the trends is just step one. Step two is the socialization and activation within the network step three is ultimately translating that and working with innovation or marketing teams those who are the actual creators in drawing inspiration uh, from this for new ideas and opportunities so by all means it's not an overnight process uh, and with our strongest clients it's also not just a one and done process there's a continual cycle of explore learn refine what's happened in the world, right? Do we may need to make alterations, have new technologies or new forces emerge that might alter some of these trajectories? So the ideas of trends and trends frameworks, a strategic tool, uh, should really be viewed as ongoing, living and breathing documentations and activities. Any company organization ultimately has core competencies that it wants to leverage, whether it's a unique product or a new position in the marketplace, something that they have that they feel sets them apart. Um, so to look at all trends and tackle every trend would be insurmountable and not reasonable. So the idea of marrying what it is you do well, what are your core competencies, what are your advantages or your key insights that perhaps prov- may provide a competitive advantage and aligning that with a consumer marketplace and key aspects of the consumer that can benefit or can be that lower hanging fruit to help bring your product to life Or monetize your product so a trends framework frankly uh, ultimately has some level of broader reaching impact obviously we want a certain number of consumers to find these equitable and opportunistic but there is also a refinement and a heavy dose of customization to take into account where a brand is within its own brand trajectory within its competitive set and its industry given the resources they have Almost like personalizing. Completely, completely, completely. Uh, They do start, many trends frameworks tend to have more of a a genetic skeleton view as a starting point. And from that point forward, it's a heavy dose of customization with a deep understanding and participation from our client shareholders. Interesting.
0: Now, I know we talked before about court cutting, and there have been a few instances I know where uh, consumer life data has. Actually, anticipated some significant mainstream trends. Could you just sort of brief us a little on some of those?
1: Yeah, just a couple. Um, even predating cord cutting, um, we even looked at in the mid '80s. Honestly, the emergence of remote shopping. Now, back in the '80s, we didn't, you know, we weren't all gangbusters about Amazon and, and app-based shopping. That certainly didn't exist. But we had actually started tracking uh, mail order shopping and so the idea of certainly that was what was the technology available at the time but the idea of convenience shopping removing that brick and mortar um, establishment out of the process focusing on the speed of acquisition and enjoyment ultimately of the product we'd already started talking about that Um, and certainly as technologies uh came online even our narrative you know, evolved to, to take into consideration online and digitalization. But clearly at, the, at that point, even back in the 80s, we had started discussing the idea of streamlining the shopping process, right? And optimizing it for each in, in individual. Uh, fast forward, um, sort of post-recession, um, you know, one of the outcomes, well, one outcome we talked quite a bit from the global recession was the economic impact, right? On, on folks and impact on consumption. But what also happened during that time period was the emergence of the sharing economy, right? The Ubers of the world, the Airbnbs of the world. Now those were sort of nascent technologies, uh, app-based, but all of a sudden now you had these opportunities that said, wait a second, I don't need to buy a product or service outright or for a long-term investment on my part. I can have access to transportation, access to hospitality access you know thinking even forward into the world of netflix and such to entertainment without having to own so we're focusing earlier and more upstream on the benefit and secondarily ultimately on the financial outway and we're making it more affordable right it's pay to play it's pay for what you use so i'd argue that the great recession actually accelerated the interest of that and, uh, and obviously there's been proliferation to this point with many different categories of, of social economy. Um, you know, our metrics right now are saying the economy is strong uh, in the US. Um, of course, there are a lot of pundits saying we're just on the tipping point of the next recession, inevitably, uh, at some point. Um, and our, our heartfelt prediction is the next time this happens again, whether at the global level or even in the US, you'll see, I think, another increased spike in sharing economy services and and uptake.
0: Just thinking ahead, as we do on this program, what do you predict for trends themselves? What do you see as the future of the way trends are used in the data economy and how clients are going to keep coming to them for answers and direction?
1: I fundamentally believe, unless a company has infinite resources, uh, and I don't really think there are any uh, at this point, point and there will probably never be any companies need to innovate as smartly and as effectively as possible with the budgets they have which means they cannot be exploring every potential avenue out there okay what trends help ultimately companies do is hedge their bets hedge their investments where should they go explore and innovate and create and whether they develop those systems internally or work with external partners and professionals Ultimately, what we're here to do is help increase your hit rate for predicting where consumer needs and expectations will be at some future point so that you're ready there with the right product at the right time.
0: Thanks very much, Eric. We really appreciate your time today. And if any of our listeners would like to learn more about GFK Consumer Life and its perspective on consumer trends, click on the link below and access some more information. And we'll talk to you next time on Thinking Ahead. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Thinking Ahead. For more information on today's topic, click the link in the description. We'll see you next time so you can keep thinking ahead.